So, where do you see yourself in five years? This is the incredibly overused interview question that every candidate should have a prepared answer for. This one is a softball. I see myself getting hired by a company where I can work hard and succeed to help the company grow. Wow, the interviewer thinks. That answer sure sounds great. Time to lob another one. So why do you want to be in sales? Again, that one is already on the list of prepared questions. Time to really shine here for the candidate. Candidate goes into the mini-speech that they rehearsed in front of the mirror earlier that morning. So I'm very competitive and money-motivated, and I love to see my name at the top of the scoreboard. The hiring manager is loving the polish and energy of this candidate. They seem like a prime fit for the team. But in thinking about it, so were the last five people she hired. Everyone has sounded great in the interview, but they never seem to live up to those initial high expectations. How can she make the interviewing process not so cookie-cutter? And how can she find the candidates that will really connect with her prospects? It's about getting 100% of the potential. This is Charlie, and welcome to Octane. Welcome to Episode 6 of Octane. In this episode, we will discuss hiring and interviewing when you're setting up for hypergrowth and in hypergrowth. Before we take on that topic, here's a word from our featured sponsor, Seek Professionals. Hello, this is Matt Benedict. I am the Director of Business Development and Account Management with Seek Professionals. We're an entry-level agency that specializes in placement of sales, marketing, management, customer service, and finance in the Twin Cities area. Stay tuned for more at the end of this segment. So the number one limiting factor that I hear from leaders of growth companies is finding enough of the right people to meet their growth plans. When you can't hire quickly enough, that market window that's open can close pretty quickly. So let's examine what I see happening in the typical interviewing environments that is causing people to not find candidates. Now, I've not been in the actual interview rooms to observe exactly how people are talking to candidates, but I do ask a lot of questions to figure out what's happening after the fact. So if you're lucky as a hiring manager, you've got a number of people to talk to, and that's indeed very lucky given the current candidate-friendly environment that we are in. It all starts with the hiring profile that you write. Typical hiring profiles that I see are a collection of all of the positive traits of every successful salesperson on the team. The job of writing the hiring profile is, not always but usually delegated, down to the frontline hiring manager who writes the profile based solely on their personal experience and does not really understand the kinds of candidates that approach their company. Creating the hiring profile also tends to be a low-priority item, especially when compared to chasing deals. So it's not given the time and attention that it truly deserves. As a result, the job profiles are typically unfindable unicorns. 
HR recruiters are held to a fairly impossible standard, and as a result, there are great cultural fits that do not meet the initial screen requirements and are quickly dismissed. In those environments, the hiring manager is probably only getting about 15% of the possible candidate pool as a starting point. It's very tough to scale up when so many get filtered out to begin with. A contributing factor also is the approach that many normal sales departments take on how to develop entry-level hires. Many times they expect to hire 10 people to really get only two or three and let initial performance weed out the bad ones. I have always found that to be brutally inefficient and very irresponsible and expensive, especially in companies who have big growth targets. It is very different during hypergrowth, where you need to hire, train, and retain. You hope to find 10 people out of 10, and frankly, you hope they have a lot of friends. Last episode, we addressed culture and how to create a culture of learning versus a culture of survival. I recommend a re-lesson at some point to really land this thought. If you're not really going to develop people, the really good candidates often sniff that out during the interview and don't choose you. But let's go deeper into the real problem here. Sales leaders who were successful reps are predisposed to believe that the way to do things is the way I did it. That means that they themselves limit the job candidate pool even further based on that very exclusive filter. So for a sales leader to find someone, they need to first pass an impossible unicorn HR filter. They then need to pass the candidate's culture BS meter and then the myopic bias of the sales leader at the finish line. So is it any wonder that sales leaders can't find enough good candidates? This is by far the most important way that hypergrowth companies create scale. Hire, train, and retain. So where are all the good ones hiding? It's about getting 100% of the potential. Today's entry-level candidate is looking for very different things than ever before. We explored some of the concepts of culture last episode, and for most of the candidates, that is now number one. They know good answers to the canned interview questions, but the real answers are in the companies they choose to work for. For about a four-year period, I probably had a 95-plus percent acceptance rate on offers placed to entry-level candidates. A big focus on being culture-forward played a very, very big role there. It was not about the money. Money could be made for sure, and our hyper-growth created opportunity for all. But we fed into the natural rhythm of the candidates rather than imposing our biases. Given that we were going to develop the team more than anyone else, we did not need to hire people with lots of experience. In fact, it was much easier to find people with zero experience given how disruptive and different our method was in the market. We were on the front edge of the cloud revolution in ways that really changed the game on what type of rep could sell it. Hypergrowth companies are almost always majorly disruptive in ways that making finding the perfect polished sales candidate almost impossible. They usually don't exist. That means your unicorn job profiles 
are going to yield you a lot of expensive, big company candidates that are likely not a fit for your culture and will not enjoy the chaos of hypergrowth. Here's a job profile that works for hypergrowth. It's been my mantra for over 17 years, and it has not changed. If you have worked with me before, you can probably say it with me. Curious, team-oriented problem solvers. For someone to succeed in the organized chaos of hypergrowth, they cannot expect to have everything handed to them on a silver platter. They need to be wired to learn, unlearn, and aggressively relearn. I also found that a culture of collaboration starts with hiring people who are genuinely motivated to solve problems in teams. And by the way, it's the natural rhythm of the current generation coming out of school right now. And it will add to your personal joy watching people help each other. Beware the person who says, I'm a team player. They're usually not. It's also very clear that the current generation is looking for transparency. During the interview, we show them not just what the top reps were making. That's the commission's bait and switch that most companies use to try to trap reps now. We showed them real scoreboards, top to bottom. When they asked about the culture, we let them choose a name from the scoreboards, and immediately we connected them with that rep. We would walk them over to the rep and simply say, sales hat off, please just talk. We called it winning the lottery. Some candidates chose the top rep, some chose the bottom, didn't matter. Culture is best described by those who are in it versus those who are trying to create it. In doing so, we challenge the candidate to get the same transparency from all of the other companies they were talking to. Culture was our chief recruiting weapon. Other companies were terrified of the comparison. Okay, so let's say you are now looking for curious, team-oriented problem solvers to create this culture of hypergrowth, learning, and collaboration. How in the world do you interview to find that? It's about getting 100% of the potential. Okay, so you are now looking for these folks, these curious, team-oriented problem solvers. Just like selling to prospects, you need to understand your buyer. But in this case, aren't you the buyer? Shouldn't you be the one asking the questions? I think there are a lot of ways to do this. Like, sell me this pen, for example, has become so cliche that it's kind of like those stock interview questions. I had a VP of sales once tell me early in my career that no good candidate says all of the right things. This has stuck with me throughout my entire career as a sales leader. It starts by creating an interview that the candidate cannot anticipate and using that interview to assess their real curiosity and their aptitude to ingest complicated information and summarize it back in simple terms. You also need to see how they behave at the finish line. How do they close you? That is where salespeople truly shine. I will now walk you through the interview process that I used. Doing this consistently over a 15-year period allowed me to really zero in on the real factors that led to success. 
I estimate that I gave this interview about 600 times. It became a great way for me to get to the heart of the matter quickly. It also had the happy side effect of giving everyone a great conversation topic that joined the team. Everybody had their interview story because everybody had to run through this gauntlet. Now, I'll admit that there are probably quite a few people out there that felt a little beat up in my interviews, and I hope to explain to everyone the method to the madness and how everything that I did was designed to help the candidate figure out how to solve the puzzle. During the trainings that we held, I ran hundreds of role plays, and I tried to design this interview in a fair way that if a candidate correctly solved it, they actually did quite well. When you interview for curiosity, it can be very tough to find, and it's about understanding their base instincts. So, by the time a candidate got to me, they had usually talked to about two or three different people. I first needed to assess the candidate's ability to synthesize information and present it back. So I did this by asking, okay, well, why don't you tell me what you've been able to figure out about our company so far, and we can start from there. The rep was then on the hook to summarize for me their findings to date. I could see if they could correctly explain our complicated business in simple terms. I also got to see what their priorities had been during their first few interviews. Then the real interview started. Again, I gave this interview in largely the same way hundreds of times. Amazing things pop out at you. This is not designed to be a trick. Every action that I took was designed to give the candidates clues on how to solve the puzzle. Some just picked up on them better than others. Here's how it started. I would say, okay, so here's what I'd like to do now. It's a little unorthodox, but we didn't get to where we are by thinking like everyone else. It's simple and very real. I am the prospect. You are the sales rep. I'm looking to hire somebody, and you're looking for a job. It's as real of a selling environment as you will ever see, and it should be a product you know pretty well. You. So by whatever method you think is appropriate or style you enjoy, make me buy. So if you want to assess curiosity, you do need to make them choose. Genuinely curious people ask questions not because they're trying to lead the prospect or fool them. They ask because they simply must know. So in the interview, does the candidate tell you what they are by walking down the resume, or do they ask you about your needs? It's not a 100% perfect test, but you at least get one very good data point where they were forced to choose. You get to see where their instincts led them one time under live fire. They could start asking you about your needs at that point, If a candidate did that with me, I would calmly lay out exactly what I was looking for. Then it was up to them to map their strengths to my needs in a compelling way and close the interview. There was one person who closed me in eight minutes. About 50% of the people that I interviewed started to talk about their background. It was a bad start for them, but I always still wanted to get people into the mode where they were asking me questions. I needed to experience what that felt like, and I needed them to experience it too. Our training would help them see that this was important. To help the candidate, I would start by giving them dismissive body language. 
If it proceeded from there, I would become distracted, looking at my phone, email, out the window. If it persisted further, I would call timeout. And I would simply ask, what are my needs? Some reps at that point would get it, and they'd start to ask me what I was looking for. Now the train was actually on the right track, and I could continue in the same way as the first side. Some would then proceed to tell me what they thought my needs were. That actually needed another timeout. I would then say, what method would you use to determine my needs? Then they would almost always say I would ask questions, which would prompt a look from me that made it quite obvious that that's what they should do. And I got almost 100% of the people to the point where I could assess the tone of how they ask questions to a prospect. Then I got to see how they mapped their strengths to my needs and how they closed. I will say that my methods probably seemed very unorthodox indeed, but I needed to know their current skills. It was our first step in our development of them. Probably the place that was the hardest to find were people who were genuinely motivated by solving problems in teams. If you want to build a culture of collaboration, that's one of the the big cornerstones. And it was really hard to figure that out. You know, when they would learn my needs during the interview, I would lay that out to them. And the candidate would really have to show why they were genuinely motivated by solving problems in teams. But you also had to look at what they had chosen in their life. You had to take a look at the activities that they had chosen to participate in. If they were sports people, were they true team sports? And if they were, what position were they? What role did they play? Did they consider themselves the leader? Did they consider themselves the facilitator? Like, what kind of a role did they play? If they talked about teamwork in their college coursework, and they talked about group projects, were they the ones always complaining that they did all the work and nobody else did? Or were they the ones that did it correctly? Were they actually created a virtual team around them so that they can build a really good team chemistry to go do the project together? It was very difficult to assess it, and it's probably the one that I got wrong most often. So, if we were going to find enough candidates, it was about letting enough of them into the process to begin with. We had to remove our own personal biases. We had to avoid the unicorn HR filter and invite a diversity of thought, opinion, and background. Each new person wove themselves into the tapestry of our culture in really cool ways. And because we had a great culture, we used that as our primary recruiting weapon. We didn't pay the most, but we hired the best, and we consistently got the best for less money. So best of luck to you as you approach higher growth. It's about hiring, training, and retaining. And it's about getting 100% of the potential. That's it for this month. Thank you so much for listening. Before we close it up, here's another message from our featured sponsor, Seek Professionals. They truly get how to hire for culture. Once again, this is Matt Benedict with Seek Professionals. 
I've been in this business for over 26 years specializing in entry-level placement. What I'd like to take the time right now to do is explain what we do for both our client accounts and our candidates. For our clients, we want to provide enough options of qualified candidates that not only meet the requirements, but fit the culture. We've learned over time that this leads to retention. When we sit down with a candidate for the first time, we take that time to get to know them. We also ask, what is it that you are looking for? We then take that information to find the best possible fit. Culture plays a huge role in that equation. So in a nutshell, that's how we work with employers and candidates. The common denominator is culture. When Charlie shared with me the topic of this episode, I really wanted to be involved. From my experience, companies that hire to culture get better candidates, improved retention, and ultimately growth. So I got a very strong reaction to last month's episode on culture, and I really do appreciate all the positive feedback, but I didn't get any good questions that came out of it. So if you are questioning certain parts of any of the podcasts, then others are too. Ask away. Your question will benefit the whole community. Next month's episode will focus on how to play the game called I Win. We will talk about how to create a competitive differentiation in your deals, how to do it in such a way that you help shape the decision criteria of your prospect, and do it collaboratively so that everybody involved in talking to the prospect is going to be involved in creating the game plan. It is one of the chief things that causes sales reps to win more often than anything else, and I look forward to sharing it with you. Thanks again for listening. Ignite the spark and fuel the flames.